Amen. So um, I'm going to need uh, a few of your amens, and uh, I'm just going to tell you off the, off the cuff. And so I've been up all night. My grandchildren are here, and so they don't like to sleep when they come to Pawpaw's house. And so uh, it's, a, it's, an, it's an awesome deal. I have a 30-year-old son, uh, and he's married and uh, has a son. Then my 26-year-old son is married, has a son. I have a 22-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old, and we get together about once every 18 months. And so this is uh, this is that time when we get together, and so I'm super excited to be doing that. Amen. I understand that this is the year of mission, and so for the church, and so I'm excited this morning to minister on the missionary God, and so um, I won't hold you. I won't keep you. I'll weave a little bit of my story in as we go along on this morning, and uh, I think that you might find it helpful and beneficial for all the people that you encounter because God saved a wretch like me. Amen. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how close you are to God, how far away you are. But if God can save Brian T. Lee, there is hope for the rest of the world. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning, we'll look at the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, a reading from the English Standard Version, or as I've been told, the extra saved version of the Bible. Amen. I don't know what we're going to, I don't know what we're going to tag the CSB, but, uh, uh, we'll hang in here right here. Amen. When you have it, say amen. If you need more time, say I'm on my way. Amen. Wise men and women use the table of contents. Amen. Amen. Now look what the word of the Lord says to us this morning. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old. When he departed from Haran. And this morning, I'd like to minister to you, the missionary God, and you can be seated on this morning. Abram, 75 years old, when he's called by God, when God interrupts his life. I love the story here in Genesis chapter 12 because. I can easily see my story in the story of Genesis chapter 12. I see my story because here's what, here's what may not flush out in my bio most of the time. It's simply this here, that I grew up in a house with two functional alcoholics. My sisters were in love with men. My brother loved women. My uncles played women all around. And in my house that I grew up in, you got to choose your God. Because I grew up in a time of great turmoil in North St. Louis, Missouri, my God became Islam, the nation of Islam to be exactly, but it didn't land there. I started off by just becoming a, a, a black nationalist, you know, all things black, fight the power, fight the people, do this, do that, the other. But one day, to my amazement, God enters into my life. See, my wife goes to a little church plant. I've only been a part of church plants, and my wife goes to a church plant, and on one Sunday morning, I decide, I make up in my mind that this is the day that I'm going to do make things right, and I show up at the church plant with, with, with on my mind that I'm going to kill the preacher. Now, if you've been here before, you've heard this story. 
I go in there in my mind. I have my bayonet. I have my weapon. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm going to let him preach. I know all preachers, they like to meet and greet, greet, greet the guests. And I say, when he comes to meet and greet me, that'll be the time I'll pull out my bayonet and I'll slice him to pieces. But he began to quote this simple verse. And the verse went something like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get any of that, but I heard with sincerity for the first time in my life that God cared about me. Not the God that I had been hearing about my whole life, you know, the sugar daddy God, the God who shows up when you're broke and he drops off a little bit of food here and there. He, drop, he drops off. He keeps the lights on. That God, not the God that I've been hearing about my whole life, not the God who was pictured on walls in my grandmother's house next to Martin Luther King, you know, because in every old black woman's house, there's a picture of Martin Luther King and Jesus. Not that God. It was the God of the cosmos. It was the God of the world. It was the God of all creation. And he had entered and invaded my space that morning with a knife in my pocket and in my hand and said, son, I love you. You see, I went there because my wife had given her life to Christ and she had began to act strangely and differently. She had become coming home and she wanted to pray and put anointing oil all over things. And she began to tell me that I was a sinner, that I was wretched and foul. And the neighbor upstairs would kind of agree with her because they would get together and pray sometimes. And I could hear them through the walls praying for that wretched, foul man downstairs. And I would take the broom and hit the ceiling and tell them to shut up. Won't no part of your God. And this morning in our text, that's what we see. We see Abraham going on about his life. Abraham from the Arab Chinese, he is a pagan of all pagans. There's no one more pagan than Abraham at this time. And we see him going on about his life when God interrupts his life and shows up and he calls Abraham to himself. But we notice in the text from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11, there is a problem going on. God is watching his good creation. He's watching them continually rebel against him and their corruption and violence and evil. Can you imagine that when God creates everything in the earth, he says it's good. But when he comes to man, he says, but it was very good. But it's the thing that was very good that turns his back on God. And God now, through 11 chapters, as we read Genesis, we see through 11 chapters, we see them. We see in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve turn their back on God because they thought what was on the tree was better than what they had with God. And God, when he says, when you eat from this tree, you should surely die, we get the first glimpse that God is a missionary. Because he enters into the garden in the cool of the day. And he says, Adam, where art thou? He doesn't enter in with a flaming sword. He doesn't enter in with a machete. He doesn't come in to kind of do a trick. He comes in to have a conversation with Adam in the midst of his sin. We know Adam is in sin because he's hiding himself from God. For you young people, just in case you don't know, here's a, here's a secret. I want to let you in on a moment. Here's how you know you're in sin. You hide from God. And for those of you who've been in church for a long time, you say, but I will never hide from God. But we all hide from God when our sins outweigh our reasonable ability. We run from God and God has to come and pursue us and tell us, rather than kill you, I'm going to show you love and mercy. I'm going to cover your sins. I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm not going to destroy you here and now. Just imagine that. But then we see him. We see God as a missionary God because there's the story of Cain and Abel, and he creates a whole city of refuge, and then you have Noah and the flood. But then worst of all, 
we have the Tower of Babel. Isn't that us? Isn't it us? Don't we want to build a city unto ourselves? Don't we want to become our own God? Don't we want to go and do what God says we can't do? And there in the Tower of Babel, they just says, let us build a city and let us build it to the heavens that we might go and establish our own selves apart from God. And the missionary God once again comes down. And rather than, rather than uh, uh, kill these people, rather than drop the atom bomb on them, says that he confuses their languages and sends them all over the earth. And then enters my man Abram, 75 years old. This dude shows up and he's just doing his thing. My man Abram comes into the picture and God says to him, he says, now the Lord said to Abram, he calls him. You see the salvific work of the gospel because Abram is not thinking about God, but the God who pursues lost man is thinking about Abram. And if we're honest with ourselves, none of us were thinking about God. But God enters into our life like a Star Trek movie taking on territory. He shows up and he comes into our lives and says, here I am. You ought to be excited about that. See, I was excited because I did not know how much of a wretched, foul pagan I was until I got into the scriptures and saw how off I was from God. Because the whole time that I was doing my black nationalist deal, I thought I was doing God a favor. How many of us are like that? We thought we were doing God a favor. We, and even, even now, some of us, we sit and we believe that we are doing God a favor. Yes, but the reality Mankind is no different than the people at the Tower of Babel. We're proud. We're proud. We're full of pride. We're arrogant. And if it was left up to us and our own selves apart from God, none of us would even be here this morning. None of us would pray. None of us would seek after him. In fact, the scripture says none go after him except he comes and invades our lives in such a way and says, this is who I am. I am the God who pursues. It starts with creation of mankind, that God, he, he, he breathes his soul into the soul of mankind, his own DNA. Why? Because God operates for one thing. That is to show his glory to mankind, for the good of mankind. That is what makes God so awesome, because he doesn't have to do it, but he does it anyway. Man rebels, and what does God do? Against man rebellion, God comes and shows up and he, and, and he pulls man closer to himself even when he does not deserve it. The missionary God pursuing us although we're running. That's the whole biblical narrative. If you follow the whole biblical narrative, it's always man running in the opposite direction of God and God pursuing man. So I love the story of Hosea. It is the most beautiful story of God in, 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 in the Bible. It is, it is the sinful wife. It is the sinful bride running from her husband and the husband going and paying the price to win her back. God does this all throughout the Scriptures. It's amazing to witness a God who is in constant pursuit of hopeless humanity. Some days, some days, I don't know about you, some days... I find myself in the presence of God, and my only response is tears of joy. I find myself some days just standing there amazed that there is a God who would love me so much that he would pursue me in my sin and in my rebellion. I find myself some days just amazed that God would come and enter into my world and say, here I am. I find myself like Abraham, who God calls Abraham to himself. Likewise, God calls you and I 
to himself. You're not just called to be a great member. You're not just called to discipleship. You're called to enter a space with God that he's carved out just for you. See, the missionary God has chosen to work through men. Look what he says to Abraham. Go to a country, go to, go, go from your country and go from your kindred and leave your father's house and go to a place I will show you. He's a God who not only selects, but he sends. Isn't that awesome? See, God just didn't select you so that you can come and sit. No, 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 no. God selects you that he might be able to send you. He might be able to send you into the marketplace and into the schoolrooms and, 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 and into the business arena and into every domain of life. But God says, go to a place that I will show you, Abram. God just never calls us to himself. But as with Abram, God has a bigger assignment in mind. Our redemption is always for God's glory and for the good of others. Did y'all catch that? God, our redemption is always for God's glory and for the good of others. None of us exist in a bubble. We exist that others might be glorified through the work of God in our lives. And so you have to ask yourself this question. When was the last time that God's glory showed up in my life and it transferred into the good for somebody else? Or have I become one of those selfish Christians? Save me, God. And now I'm going to live and wait for heaven. I'm going to sit on my Rudy Tutu and hope something good happens. See, when we see God showing up in the picture of Abraham's life, it's like a Star Wars scene. It is God invading our territory in order to get his mission done. It is God being the captain, right? We're all part of the crew. It is God not yet ready to beam us up, but to place us in a place and say, do work until I come. We all know what it's like to be pursued, especially if you have a husband or wife. Boy sees girl, boy chases girl, girl runs from boy. Girl gets caught by boy and says, this is not so bad after all. See, it is that constant pursuit. It is that constant pursuit. And what I love about God, when he catches us and grabs our heart, he doesn't stop pursuing us. He constantly comes into our life. He enters into our lives at those times when we are, when we are most likely not to understand and or to see what God is doing. One word lays out God's mission statement for me. It's just one simple word. Go. Go. Here's what he tells Abraham. He says, Abraham, not only am I going to make you rich, wealthy, give you land and descendants, he says, but in order for all these things to happen, you need to be committed to going. See, the mission of God is always about us being committed to going where God tells us to go. And often God sends us to people who don't look like us, don't dress like us, don't think like us, don't act like us. But he says, that's where I want you to go. I want you to go to those places. Abraham had no idea where God was sending him. God had just scattered people all over the earth. And he says, I'm going to make you of a great nation. Abraham's wife womb is dead. Abraham's old and probably decrepit by now. And God says, I'm going to use you. The mission of God is so awesome that he says, no matter how broken you are, I can use you. No matter how foul you are, I can use you. No matter how hard your heart is, I, God, can use you. This one word go is made clear for us in the, in the great commandment and in the great commission where he says, go and make disciples. But I think that when we see it better with a picture of Jesus Christ 
found in John chapter 20 when Jesus has the post-resurrected Christ who's already been to the cross, who's already been beaten, who's already been placed in the tomb. Then we see Jesus show up and he has these parting words for his disciples. Jesus said to them again in John 20 and 21, peace to you as the Father has sent me. Ah, now send you. See, this is why I love God as a missionary, because God doesn't change his vision or his mission strategy based off man. You know how we are. We all flaky like that. But enough of y'all don't show up at church. We'll change the colors of the banners, the billboards. We'll, we'll go get a new website. We'll fire the band. But God says, I don't change my mind. All through the Bible narrative, God is saying, I'm pursuing you. I'm after you, but I'm not just pursuing you so we can have a love relationship. I'm pursuing you that I might send you, that others might see me through you. And so we see this are played out all throughout the Bible. See, to be on mission with God requires movement. God is never, God is never static. God is always moving. Unlike Pastor Cease and myself, God doesn't need a sabbatical. He doesn't need to rest. He's always about the mission. And so God is always about movement. To be on mission with God, like Abraham, we must be willing to go to people in places unknown to us. Have you prayed that prayer lately? Have you, have you, have you thought about what it is that God wants to do with your life? Have you considered that we serve a God who's a missionary, that the largest mission agency in the world starts in heaven and works its way down to earth? Have you considered the fact that when you signed up to become a Christian, to become a follower of Christ, to become a disciple, that you were signing up for a missionary assignment? Have you considered the fact that the missionary God, the CEO of all of the universe, is calling you and I to get on mission with him to reach a lost and dying world? Have you considered that? Or have you landed in the place where you say, the hell with the world? Need my four no more. God gives Abraham something worth living for. He calls him and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. Even though your wife's womb is dead, I'm going to do these things. See, the mission of God always requires a sent people because we serve a sent God. We serve a God that is always invading dark places and showing himself strong. And here's the reality of it. He, he does that now through you and I. He sends you and I into dark places that we might show up and be the hands and the feet and the eyes and be, and be, the, and be God fleshed out to a watching world. That's what he's really saying to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to, and not only do I call you to myself, Abraham, see, you get to see a beautiful picture of election even right here. Abraham is not looking for God, but God calls Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Abraham wasn't even thinking about God, but God says, I'm going to elect you, Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to select you. I'm going to call you unto myself, Abraham. But I'm not only going to call you to myself because that alone would have brought God glory. He says, but I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to fulfill the original plan of reaching every man, woman, and child with this gospel. I'm going to have a select people. I'm going to use you. I love the way he tells Abraham, and all families of the earth should be blessed because of you. And it brings my mind immediately to Revelation 7 and 9 when John has his great revelatory vision. He says, and at the throne of God, he saw every tongue, tribe, and kindred worshiping before God. See, that's the missionary mindset we got to have. We can never be satisfied with just us. We've got to be looking to see every tongue, tribe, and 
and kindred, worship me before God. And we've got to say, man, we need to get our practice right down here. Because that's what a missionary God does. He calls a rebellious people. He calls a crazy people unto himself. And he says, not only am I going to save you, not only am I going to select you, I'm going to send you. See, the mission of God is always about the multitudes. It's always about everything God does is big, even when we think it's small. Let me just say that again. Everything God does is big, even when we think it's small. You think it's a small thing that you get to share your faith with your next door neighbor. You think it's a small thing that you're here this morning. But everything God does is big, even when we think it's small. And so I take, I, I take great joy when I get to talk to the homeless man and the CEO. I take great joy when I get to sit in the classroom full of students because I know that I'm representing the greatest mission agency in the world. I'm representing the greatest missionary in the world that I get to come and I get to, I get to tell them about the greatest love story in the world. That's what makes it so awesome. I, I know I'm driving you sound guys crazy. Y'all going to be all right. Amen. God's mission always comes with promises. Catch this. The burying old woman, her aged out husband, are promised to impact the whole earth with descendants. I'm sending you away, but I'm preparing the way. Here's the, here's the luxury that we have as believers. God says, I'm sending you away, but I'm preparing the way. I'm sending you to proclaim, but I'm preparing the way. In other words, it's not just up to you. I'm going to prepare the way if you'll take on these two words. If you'll go, I'll prepare the way. To be like God, the missionary God, you got to get past membership and onto mission. You got to see yourself as a missionary, your whole life to be used by God to go to the ends of the earth or at least to the end of your block. I'm preparing the way. If anyone has issues with you, they have issues with me. I love God. Here's why I love God. God says to Abram, he says, Abram, I'm going to bless you, but if anybody trips with you, they tripping with me, and I'm going to deal with them. Ain't that cool? Ain't that awesome to know that God says, listen, I'm going to call you on mission. And if anybody has an issue with you, they have an issue with me. Isn't that what he says to the disciples going to a town? And if they don't receive you, they don't receive me. Treat them like Sodom and Gomorrah. Knock the dust from your feet. They now have issues with me because they had issues with you. Why wouldn't we want to be in this herd on his team? Why wouldn't we want to be missionaries for God? Knowing that God is sending us, we know all things work well for us because we've been sent as missionaries. He says, but if you got a problem. See, I had a partner like that. In fact, he's at our church now. And when we grew up, he was a little bit bigger, always a little bit strong, a little bit, a little bit. And I was the guy with the words. You know, that's probably why God saved me, called me unto himself, made me a preacher because preachers are full of words. But my partner, he could actually fight. And when I would get into it, we catch with my words because, you know, I couldn't find a little bitty guy. I was like, it's like five, six, five, seven, maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet with two bricks in my pocket. And but I had my boy. My boy was always six one always muscular, always built out, you know. He had knocked some cats out, and so I would talk crazy to people, and people would get ready to get with me, and I would say, Mom! And my boy would walk out, and he would say, you got a problem with my man? You see what I'm saying? And that's what God says. God says, they got a problem with Abram. They got a problem with me. 
And if God calls you on mission with himself, and even if the world rejects you, if the world hates you, if the world, if the world, if the world doesn't, doesn't treat you right, God says, but the world has a problem with me. Look at this here. Key verse four. Verse four. That's the key verse. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Do y'all see the parallel there? God comes and he invades Abram's life. Abram's life is comfortable. His pops has died. He has an inheritance. He has cattle. He has renters. He has all these people with him. But look at, look at, look, look at this here. God comes to Abram and he invades his life. And he tells Abram, I want you to give up your life for a better life that I have for you. And the text says that Abram doesn't question God. He doesn't, he doesn't fleece God. He doesn't try God. The Bible says that Abram went. God said, go, and Abram went. If you're going to roll with the missionary God, he has to be like your best friend. He has to be like your girlfriend that you love going shopping with. When they pull up in front of the house and go, bump, bump, you walk out the door. You got to have that kind of mindset. You got to think that you got to have the mindset that your best friend has called you brothers with tickets to the Rockets last game seven. And there's no way you're going to meet it. Miss it every time God shows up and go bump, bump. You got to say, I'm ready to go. See, that's what it means to work with the God. The missionary God is that he's always moving. He's always sending. He's always calling. God is going to do this here until the whole earth has heard the message about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So every man, woman, and child has had an opportunity to receive or reject the word of God. God's going to do what he does. And so here in verse 4, the key to being on mission with the missionary God is obedience. So Abram went. God's only requirement for you and I is to obey and go. Only requirement. Obey and go. Obey and go. Obey and go. Get your book game on. Build up your book library. Get your podcast down. But when you hear the master calling, obey and go. I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know, I don't know where you work at. But God is calling you to be on mission with him, and he's expecting you every day to wake up and say, I'm going to obey God, and I'm going to go. I'm going to obey God, and I'm going to go. Just like God has called and sent Abram, Jesus is calling and sending you and I. And the only legitimate question we should be asking ourselves, are we willing to obey God? And go. See, here's the amazing thing about God. He's such a missionary God that he's given us an opportunity to participate with him. Have you ever saw one of those kids who plays well by themselves? No one of those kids. They don't need other kids. They make up friends all along the way. They just play well by themselves. God can get it done by himself. But just like with Abram, he's inviting you and I the opportunity to be a part of what he's getting done. In other words, God shows up the basketball court and he's getting his game on. And he's looking out there and he's saying, hey, bro, you want to play? And he's putting the team together. And here's the cold part about it. No matter if he's on offense or defense, he's on the winning team. And he's given us the opportunity to come and play in this, in this big world with him and to reach a lost and dying world. And the only question we have, are we going to obey and go?
Now, there might be some of you here who say, but I don't know where God is calling me to. And I don't know who God is calling me to. Surely Abram had those questions. But I'll leave you with Sister Cora Tenenbaum. We can trust in an unknown future to a known God. Let me just say that again. You can trust an unknown future to a known God. I don't have to have all the I's dotted or the T's crossed. I don't need a plan from A to Z. I just need to hear the missionary God call me and know that when he called me, he didn't call me to sit. He called me that he might send me. I just have to obey and go. I'd like to pray with us this morning. As this is the year of mission at C3, my question is, are we obeying and going? Or have we become comfortable with the Sunday morning routine? I checked the clock. I checked in. I, I, I checked. I, I made it. My daughter, my, my oldest daughter, recently got a new job. And they hired her for part-time. But they had her working full-time hours. She came home one day and she was quite upset. And I'm thinking, you've not worked in a couple of months, and you've been in my pocket. And she wanted to quit. And I sat her down, and I said, honey, why is it you want to quit? She said, because I signed up for part-time, but they got me working full-time. Some of us think that we signed up for part-time when God has called us to give our whole life full-time. Can we pray?